Hi, ParCast listeners. It's Vanessa with some incredible news. You can purchase your copy of our book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, available now at parcast.com slash cults. Cults is an expanded look at the people who led and followed the most radical groups in history, with an unflinching exploration into what happens when the most vulnerable recesses of the mind are twisted into the lowest forms of malevolence. Details not featured on our podcasts. We're so proud to bring you this fantastic compilation of stories, and we're forever grateful for your support. Without you, none of this would be possible, so thank you. Visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. That's parcast.com slash cults to order today. In 1995, a doomsday Japanese religious movement launched the deadliest domestic terror attack in Japan's modern history. Members of the group let off a toxic nerve agent in Tokyo's subway system during the morning rush hour. The attack killed 13 people, and more than 6,000 were sickened by it. The group was Om Shinrikyo and was led by a man who shared an impoverished upbringing to become the head of one of the richest and most murderous religious groups of their time. Hello everyone and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week we're going to cover your favourite cults, faith followers and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. And yes, today we're going to tell you about the Japanese religious group Om Shinrikyo, also known as Supreme Truth. We'll get into how its founder, Shoko Asahara, turned a tiny group of followers into a global following of thousands. And we'll get into how he strategically grew a following that built him a global billion-dollar business empire and how some of his followers helped him make a nerve agent that could kill millions of people. And do you know how he did it? Tell me. Yoga. <laughs> yes. Yoga and pretending to levitate. Yeah. With yoga. Mm-hmm. And selling his bathwater. Yeah. And all of that and all of the above and bullying blind kids. And absolutely one of the richest cults we'll ever come across. Yes, completely. And if you're wondering listeners at home, how he convinced people he was levitating. He did it by standing on one leg and then hopping a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Just a perfectly timed photograph. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, 
you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So let's get into Shoko Asahara's early life. Shoko Asahara was born Chizu Matsumoto on the 2nd of March, 1955. He changed his name from Chizu to Shoko in the 1980s. And for consistency, we're going to refer to him as Shoko throughout the episode, or we'll all get confused and then we'll have to go home and everyone will be upset about it. Shoko had six siblings and grew up in a very poor household. His father was a mat maker. Shoko was born blind in one eye and only had 30% vision in the other. One of his brothers was almost completely blind and attended a boarding school for the visually impaired. Shoko was also able to attend the school, which entitled the family to a government subsidy as well as free meals. Pretty crucial for a poor matchmaker Mm -hmm. and his wife. And at school, Shoko was known to beat kids and take their money. But even though he had bullying tendencies, a former teacher told the LA Times that Shoko also had a caring side and would reach out to the less popular kids. Which, mm-hmm. not really what he was doing. No. He knows from a very early age how to manipulate people and how to control people. And he takes full advantage of his situation because mm-hmm. he has 30% vision yeah. and all of the kids he's school with are almost completely blind. Yeah. So he is like, well, in the land of the blind, the man with one eye is king. Yeah. That's what he's like, that's me. That's me. I'm King Shoko. And Shoko also ran for student council president several times, but he was never successful, which reportedly made him rather depressed. Wasn't that popular then? No, I think it's like they're scared of him, so they're nice to him to his face. But then when it came to a secret ballot, they're like, nah, Mm. fuck that guy. And according to the journalist Shoko Igawa, who wrote a critical biography of Shoko Asahara, Shoko loved money from an early age. And by the time he finished high school, He had saved $30,000. How many of us can say that? Not me. After high school, Shoko studied acupuncture and herbal medicine. He then moved to Tokyo in 1975, where he ran an acupuncture clinic. He also set up his own shop in which he sold Chinese herbal medicines. And in 1978, he got married. Shoko was actually caught selling fake medicine in 1982. He claimed that the medicine could cure rheumatism and other diseases. Shoko was arrested, pleaded guilty, and was fined for it. We've come across a lot of snake oil merchants on this show, but this is the truest. (laughs) Because like we said at the top, he is more of a dirty bathwater salesman. Yes. Around 1984, Shoko started a company called the Society of Celestial Beings. Within the organization, there was a publishing house and a yoga school, because you've got to diversify those income streams. And if you can publish your own books about yoga and do your own yoga classes about publishing, you've got the market cornered. (laughs) The following year, Shoko told an occult magazine that he was able to levitate for about three seconds. And he went on to say that he would soon, quote, be able to fly freely through the sky. According to the LA Times, between 1986 and 87, Shoko traveled to the Himalayas, where he reportedly reached ultimate salvation. And then he allegedly hung out with the Dalai Lama, where he received, quote, the secret teachings of Tibetan Buddhism. They're called secret because you can't know them. Not unless you hang out with the Dalai Lama like he did. I don't think he even (laughs) says it. I think if you go and ask the Dalai Lama, hey, can I have all of the secrets to Tibetan Buddhism, please? He'll be like, no, fuck you. Well, 
Well, I don't think they share them. I don't know. I think you have to monk about for like 10 years before you're allowed. Not if you're a Shoko Ash Sahara. Clearly. Clearly. Oh. He could levitate for three seconds. Hey, well, sorry. Yes, we are taking Please. his word. Sorry. Are you paying attention? No. <laughs> <laughs> so the LA Times reported that around this time, Shoko was able to see through objects and also able to meditate underwater for a whopping six hours. God, those secrets are great. Great secrets he got. And it was also in 1987 when Shoko changed his organization's name to Om Shinrikyo, commonly referred to as just Om. And as we mentioned earlier, the name means supreme truth. According to the US State Department, Shoko wanted to, quote, take over Japan and then the world. I mean, he really does do it all, does Mr. Shoko Asahara, as we're about to find out. Very humble beginnings, very industrious man. We haven't seen an industrious cult leader in quite a mm. while. He really does come from nothing and goes on to the richest cult I have ever come across. Coming up, we'll get into how Shoko built his organization into a billion dollar company and how he managed to convince some of his followers to drink his bath water and believe that a metal helmet could erase thought patterns. Hi, listeners, it's Vanessa. I'm so excited to tell you that our first book is on sale now. This is such a big moment for the whole ParCast family, and we can't wait for you to read it. It's called Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. And you can purchase it today by visiting parcast.com cults. This is a passion project years in the making and only made possible by you. With your support, we've been able to get back to our storytelling roots. This time with a wealth of research and insights under our belt and intimate details not covered on our podcast before. Shame, exploitation, power. Cults unfolds the many motives behind groups like Nexium, Heaven's Gate, The People's Temple, and more, revealing eye-opening details which will surprise even the most devoted true crime fan. Visit parcast.com cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. That's parcast.com cults. And on behalf of everyone here at ParCast, thank you for joining us on this journey. We hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So let's get into how Shoko Asahara grew his organization into a billion-dollar religious movement. The Om Group was given official religious corporation status in 1989, when Shoko was around 44 years old. He's getting on a bit, you know. He does a lot of snake oil salesmanship and standing on one leg before he starts making the big bucks. As we know by now, being a religious organization brings big old benefits, namely tax breaks. And in the case of Om, 
immunity from oversight and prosecution. That's outrageous. Get it together, what Japan. The fuck? Why are we a limited company? We should be a religious organization. Don't even start. <laughs> the group's main background was in Buddhism, but also included Eastern and Western mystic beliefs. They even drew influence from the 16th century astronomer Nostradamus. Love a bit of Nostradamus. I love a bit of Nostradamus too. I was just about to ask the question, what's a Western mystical belief when it's at home? But it's literally Nostradamus. So yeah. I answered my own question. Yeah, Christian mysticism stuff. Pagan mysticism, probably. Oh, yeah. All that. All that good stuff. They were also influenced by the Hindu god Shiva. Shiva is the god of destruction, which some say is significant because of the violent nature of Shoko's group and his focus on Armageddon. I think it's interesting with the Armageddon and like the connection to Shiva because obviously he's the creator but also the destroyer. There's that quote that Oppenheimer used when he created the atomic bomb. I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Exactly. And that is very much from the Shiva playbook of being a god. Great. <laughs> Go. Good. <laughs> they had other beliefs also. The Ohms believed that there are several steps of consciousness that followers could reach through Shoko's teachings. You really have to hand it to these cults. They really understood gamification a lot sooner than almost everybody else. Yes, I mean, religion was there first. <laughs> Shoko preached that the end of the world was close and that he was the first, quote, enlightened one since Buddha. According to the Council on Foreign Relations, Shoko told people that only he and his followers would survive the apocalypse. The only thing I have is like, I wouldn't want to survive an apocalypse. You know what? Excellent point. What are you going to do? Blow me up, man. Yoga. No, fuck that. Do yoga and drink his dirty bath water. No thanks. <laughs> yeah, I want to get vaporized. Mm -hmm. According to Shoko, his apocalypse would either happen in 1996 or, giving himself options here, covering himself, between 1999 and 2003. Good. You want to give yourself that seven-year window just in case. Anything could happen. Never know. He also said that the United States would be responsible for the Armageddon by starting World War III with Japan. There's still time. <laughs> so when they officially became a religious organization, Shoko and his followers went on a massive recruitment mission, which was reportedly very aggressive. The group had a set division who handled recruitment. They were called, very simply, the New Followers Agency. Boo. New business. New, New business. business over there. New business. Uh, hi, uh, I'm here to start at the contracts department in your in your new business organization. <laughs> the agency would canvas on the streets and they would also recruit on college campuses. The perfect place, as we all know by now, dear listeners, to get people to join your cult. And here they would hold yoga and meditation classes. I reckon you just hand out free food. Hand out free food. Those college students, they'll join your cult. That's what the Hare Krishnas did at my university. Uh-huh. Rice and dal. Join the cult. According to a New York Times profile on the group, Ohm attracted people who were looking for a more meaningful existence and who were tired of Japan's materialistic side. This, again, we've seen this time and time again. You attract people into your cult by offering them some sort of purpose, by offering them something bigger than themselves. According to Wired magazine, members wrote stories and placed ads in which they said they had gained telepathic powers and could also levitate. A lot of own followers were highly skilled. Again, we see this time and time again. They were doctors, chemists, biologists, and computer programmers. Just being intelligent and book smart does not make you immune from the lures of a cult. 
But not all of the recruits came from such backgrounds. Some came from more blue-collar backgrounds and were specifically recruited to help with the construction of own businesses. Smart, you want your workforce to be nice and diverse. And not want much money. Precisely. Ohm even had access to a Russian radio station in which they would recruit people. And this helped them get thousands of followers in Russia. And new recruits would have to do something called Christ initiation, which involved the recruits sitting in isolation for 12 hours while reportedly tripping on LSD. And there was also something called, quote, perfect salvation. And that's where recruits had to change their thought patterns which basically meant they had to erase their previous thought patterns. And to do this, they could rent, not borrow, rent for money, a so-called hat of happiness. Well, if it's as easy as that, yeah, then rent me up. Sign me up to the hat of happiness. I'll make you one. Yahoo News Australia described this hat of happiness as a, quote, unwieldy helmet that was covered in electrodes. And a member could rent this electrode hat for a paltry $10,000 a month. So you can't have one. No. <laughs> Change my mind. <laughs> it's been reported that Shoko was targeting the anime generation with a fantasy and sci-fi-esque recruiting system, which he does very well. Very, very true. Get the oldos with the yoga, mm-hmm. get the youngos with the Sci-fi. electrode hat. Yeah, yeah. Ohm reportedly raised millions of dollars through its religious training and from selling products just as ridiculous sounding as the Hat of Happiness. Members could also buy Shoko's bathwater for $250 an ounce. And reportedly, a potion made with Shoko's blood could be bought for just $11,000. So being part of Ohm also meant that members had to sign their estates over to the group. Classic tactic. According to the group, to give up all of one's possessions would help a member survive the Armageddon. Yeah, you don't want all that stuff weighing you down while you're running away from the apocalypse. Mm -mm. But Ohm also had legit businesses too, which generated a lot of money. you got to have those legit businesses so that you can clean all of the rest of that money you get illegally. Which thereby makes them not legit businesses at all. Yeah, they typically tended to own sort of electronic stores and restaurants. And they had a tea plantation in Sri Lanka and an export-import business in Taiwan. And in Japan, they had a fitness club, a babysitting firm and a telephone dating club. Who is leaving their babies with bearded yogi men? Not me. (laughs) And also, I like that it's called a babysitting firm. Sounds very corporate. (laughs) That sounds like a gang. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it's run by the Cray Twins. Well, get in. Put this suit on, baby. In 1989, the Ohm reportedly became more dangerous. There were allegations of kidnappings, probably the baby firm, and other assaults from family members who had loved ones taken by the group. Around this time, some family members started anti-Ohm groups to bring attention to what was going on. In the early 90s, Shoko and the other Ohm members attempted to run for parliament, but... They weren't successful. You'll be oh no, desperately glad to hear. It's his school years all over again, not winning class president. Yes, exactly. He really is very desperate to be a politician, isn't he? Which is always enormous red flag. Yes, run. Following their defeats, Om Shinrikyo built a commune at the foot of Mount Fuji. Incredibly expensive real estate there. They got my money. And this is where they built factories and labs to make weapons and sarin gas. 
and also possibly drugs like LSD. Sarin is a nerve agent and it works by interrupting the messages your brain is sending to your muscles. So nerve agents, generally speaking, are telling your muscles to contract all the time. So if your intercostal muscles between your ribs, for example, are being sent the message to constantly contract, it becomes impossible for you to expel any air out of your lungs. So that's how it gets you. Not a nice way to go. Wired magazine reported that because Ohm had thousands of followers around the world, they had access to state-of-the-art lasers, don't know what they're lasering, lab equipment and weaponry. And also, according to Wired, it was in Russia where the sect found suppliers of military hardware, training and possibly a nuclear bomb. And we should also take a pause and note here that the sect had ties to veterans of the KGB. Shoko reportedly had an obsession with lasers, which is probably why the sect had laser cutters that could slice through iron plates. Okay. The nerve gas thing, I understand why you're trying to develop that. Not condoning it. But I can understand why that is something you would be after. Chemical weapons, I get. What are you going to laser? It's just fun though, isn't it? I'm supposed to get the anime kids in, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And in one of his booklets, Shoko also wrote, quote, As we move towards the year 2000, there will be a series of events, an inexpressible ferocity and terror. In 1998, a New York Times investigation found that in the early 90s, Ohm had allegedly tried to kill millions of people in the Tokyo area. The group was trying to start an apocalyptic war, so they sprayed toxins from rooftops and trucks. But it's thought that no one was injured or killed. And one of the targets was an American military base. By 1992, Ohm had thousands of followers. And this is the year that Shoko Asahara officially declared himself none other than Christ. Well, why not at this stage? He's got the rest of them. It's bound to happen. He's like, I'm not doing enough with this Western mysticism. Uh uh What do they call him? Joe's G... uh, mm, Christmas. Uh, Yes. (laughs) It's me, Christmas. Up next, we'll get into how Ohm's chemical stockpile got so big that it could have wiped out millions of people. So, the moment you've been waiting for, let's get into some of the attacks committed by members of Ohm Shinrikyo. In 1989, a lawyer who was planning a class action lawsuit against Ohm was killed by followers of the group. The lawyer's wife and infant son were killed as well. The lawyer had been working to help members who wanted to leave the group. A member of Ohm got the death sentence for his role in the murder. And as we mentioned moments ago, Ohm used their Mount Fuji commune to make biochemical weapons. What a waste of a Mount Fuji commune. Tell me about it. I know. I wonder who owns it now, because they will be a basquillionaire. And within their incredibly expensive, very valuable, we have no idea who has it now, commune at the foot of Mount Fuji, they had a team of 300 scientists and engineers working away on their biochemical weapons. Between 1990 and 1995, Ohm coordinated 17 attacks. 10 were chemical 
and seven were biological, in which they targeted civilians and officials. The agents used included anthrax, VX, which is what killed Kim Jong-nam, and sarin. Isn't it interesting? A lot of the other cults that we have talked about, they make these sort of doomsday predictions about the end of the world, the apocalypse. And then when it doesn't happen, they tend to kill their own members and force everybody into a kind of mass suicide situation. Here, he's like, we're going to make it happen by killing everybody else. Yeah. It's very like, let's externalize this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, you wouldn't play with me. So... Oh, absolutely. He's very much like a combination between a cult leader and a terrorist because it's like he's very angry at the world, probably because Mm -hmm. he didn't win class president and he didn't get into... And then real president. And then real president. And he's like, fine then. Didn't want me. I'm going to fucking murder all of you. Yeah. Fragile masculinity abounds. According to Scientific American, in 1992, Ohm sent some members on a medical mission to Zaire to offer aid during the Ebola outbreak. But it turned out their real motive was to get hold of the Ebola virus. The group also attempted to kill the head of a Buddhist organization because Shoko Asahara allegedly held a grudge against him. Again, a man who can't let go of his anger, his grudges and his rage. And they tried to kill this man twice using sarin gas. But even with sarin gas, they failed both times. As much as this group you will go on to see is very wealthy and very successful in many ways, they are also slightly incompetent in quite a few ways. In June of 1994, members of OM released sarin gas in the Japanese city of Matsumoto. They released the sarin near the homes of judges who were overseeing a lawsuit concerning a real estate dispute. It's been claimed the suit was going to go against the group. And so they're like, the only option is sarin gas murder. (laughs) Just a bit of casual bioterrorism. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if there are no intermediary steps. And this attack killed seven people and affected around another 500 people. And if you are still wondering just how sarin gas works, here are some facts for you. Sarin was developed by the Nazis, unlike VX, which was developed by the British, and is one of the most lethal nerve gases known to man. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that a single drop of sarin can cause muscle twitching. Following the release of sarin into the air, people can be exposed through skin or eye contact, and even from just breathing in air that's been contaminated by the gas. And once this sarin-infected air has either been absorbed through the skin, the eyes, or breathed in, symptoms can appear within seconds. Exposure to large doses can cause convulsions, loss of consciousness, and paralysis and respiratory failure, like we were talking about earlier, because you can't move your lungs or your ribs or anything. So now we're all very educated on nerve agents. Let's go back to Ohm's killings. In February 1995, members of Ohm kidnapped the brother of a member who had escaped from the group. They took him to the compound next to Mount Fuji, where they killed him and then put his corpse in a microwave-powered incinerator I suppose quite a lot of incinerators are micro-powered. Yeah, but it's just fun to say it. (laughs) On March the 20th, 1995, five members of Ohm got on the Tokyo subway. They were all carrying newspaper-wrapped packages full of liquid sarin gas. They had arranged a set time to release the gas from the packages, and their coordinated hit killed 13 people and sickened more than 6,000 The police quickly figured out who did the attack, and authorities raided Ohm's various compounds around Japan. At Ohm's Mount Fuji commune, 
police found tons of chemicals used to produce sarin gas. Not long after that incident, police discovered a hidden basement on the Mount Fuji premises. And in this basement, they found OM leaders in hiding, including a chemist who confessed to making the sarin gas. According to Yahoo News Australia, OM did the attack for two reasons. The first was because authorities had been investigating them and Ohm wanted to distract them from all of that money he was washing through everything. And the second was because Shoko wanted the world to end in a nuclear war. He thought that the subway attack would be blamed on the United States and therefore it would kick off a huge war. False flag. False flag World War Three. yeah. On May the 16th, 1995, Shoko Asahara was found hidden in a secret room on the Mount Fuji compound. Shoko was convicted of being involved in 13 crimes that led to the deaths of 29 people. And on February the 27th, 2004, he was sentenced to death. The final own member to be arrested for the subway attack was finally tracked down in 2012, and the case was finally brought to a close. Justice moves slowly in Japan. Mm-hmm. And on July the 6th, 2018, some 13 years later, Shoko and six other members of OM were executed. The delay was due to appeals. And just 20 days later, on July the 26, 2018, six more members of OM were executed. A US Senate investigation noted that at the time of the sarin attack in 1995, it's thought that OM had between 40,000 to 60,000 followers around the world. They also had 30 branches in over six countries, including a big following in Russia. They also had networks in Australia, Ghana, the UK, Canada, Israel, and several other countries. So in terms of headcount, mm -hmm. they're probably one of the most successful of all time. Oh, yeah. Headcount and just pure money. Exactly, because they were worth around $1 billion. After the subway attacks, the Japanese government took away Ohm's religious status and the US State Department along with several other countries, put the group on its list of terrorist organizations. Investigations following the subway attacks revealed that Ohm had the ability to produce thousands of kilograms of sarin a year. They had also managed to get hold of a Russian military helicopter, which could have been used to spread the chemicals. Yeah, like crop spraying. Ohm eventually broke away into several splinter groups. The largest of the splinter groups are said to be Aleph and Hikari Noah which was founded by a former Ohm spokesman who has since distanced himself from Ohm and from worshipping Shoko. Probably for the best. You're not going to get many bombs on seats? Nope. In 2018, NBC News reported that the Japanese government labelled the two splinter groups dangerous religions. In November 2021, The Spectator UK reported their left are still active with approximately 1,600 Members, So they're the ones at the bottom of Mount Fuji. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, it's a lot. It's a very, very global cult, very moneyed cult, and all from very humble beginnings. Mm, and particularly impressive in the early 90s mm -hmm. when there was no Reddit. <laughs> very Which much. Which is how so. cults happen now, I mm -hmm, understand. Mm -hmm. It's very much like a rags to riches cult story because yeah. the very, very first like place that they start Om Shinrikyo is like in a little yoga studio. And then before you know it, they've got a Mount Fuji compound. Didn't they start calling themselves wizards they at were, some point? They yes. were, yeah, 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 wizards. Because you got to get those big nerds in. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's it, guys. That is the case of Om Shinrikyo and Shoko Asahara. 
thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. And we just want to mention that for today's episode, we referenced the Council on Foreign Relations, the BBC, Wired Magazine, the New York Times, the LA Times, Yahoo News Australia, Scientific American, and a US Senate study into Om Shinrikyo. Remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every single week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, you can follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us and if you like ice skating, you can come on over to the HQ, the Mothership, the Motherland, Red Handed, the podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. And we very, very recently just released an episode on Tonya Harding and whether she knew or whether she did not know about someone battering the shit out of Nancy Kerrigan. So come check that out wherever you listen to your podcasts. That is Red Handed, the weekly true crime podcast hosted by me and Hannah. And we'll see you there or here or somewhere else next time. Goodbye. Bye. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters and Tracy Levy. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Chelsea Wood and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. Listeners, remember to visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's on sale today, and I can't wait for you to dive in. Nexium, The Branch Davidians, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults takes you beyond the headlines for an intimate look at the sordid beginnings and deadly ends of the most radical groups in history. Details never heard on our show before. If you love our cult series or any of our true crime podcasts, this book is for you. Without your loyalty and support, none of this would be possible. So we truly hope you enjoy. Visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's on sale and ready to read right now. Order today at parcast.com slash cults. Cults.